0: Hi, thanks for joining us for this message from Red Church in Melbourne, Australia. We pray that you're blessed by it. If you'd like to know more about Red Church or its ministries, or if you'd like to support us financially, you can find out more by heading to connect.redchurch.org.au. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, you who are God, my Saviour, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart. You, God, will not despise. May it please you to prosper, Zion, to build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in the sacrifices of the righteous in burnt offerings offered whole. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. These words are so compelling. They're full of emotion, full of passion. They're full of honesty and vulnerability. And they were written by David. David, who was a key biblical figure, a man who was known for his great military power, his political influence, and an enormous spiritual leader in the Old Testament. But also, David was a humble man who began as a shepherd, and we get to see so much of his humanity throughout the biblical narrative. When we look at any story in the Bible, we're always invited to learn two things, something about God, and something about humanity, how we engage with him and how he engages with us. The biblical authors usually highlight things in the way that they write and the things that they highlight and repeat. It's really interesting to note that David has three books written about him. No one else has that amount of writing in the Bible except for Jesus. There's a reason they want us to look at David, to remember him, to reflect on his life. Something else that's really significant about David and the insight we have is we not only have a narrative of what happened to him, but we also have the Psalms. He wrote so many of those Psalms and it's that deep insight to what actually happened inside him. It's a reflection of his relationship with God. It's really powerful to see his humanity and his desire to seek God continually. It was the prayer book of so many of the New Testament of Jesus The Psalms are a beautiful book that represent a depth of relationship with God that we're all invited into. And so over the next few weeks, we want to look at the life of David, the life of David as a shepherd and as a king. We want to explore what it meant for him to follow God in that time and how he was changed by God. And so we want to jump into the story. Where do we meet David in the narrative of the Bible? Well, we're in the Old Testament and we find ourselves in 1 Samuel. That's when he's first mentioned. Essentially what's happened is Israel has been formed as a nation and has been ruled by judges for many, many years. But they're crying out. They're desperate to be like the other nations around them because they want a king to lead them. God has provided judges and prophets and currently as we enter this story Samuel is a prophet who's been leading this group of people but they are fed up with him unfortunately and come to him and say find us a king so in the midst of all of this in 1 Samuel chapter 8 Samuel cries out to God on behalf of the people saying they want a king Samuel had been so faithful in serving God. He was a baby dedicated to God's service to the temple since he was a young boy. He was a prophet who heard God and he was called to anoint a new king to seek God and God trusted him to follow his lead. And so we see in 1 Samuel an anointing happen. King Saul, another famous character in the Bible, he appointed him as king through God's lead, um, leading and direction. Saul became king when he was 30 and he reigned for 42 years over Israel. And initially, he was a great leader. He followed God, he sought God through Samuel. He prayed and he waited and he used, um, waited on God's leadership to know what to do next with the kingdom. Unfortunately, one day, he chooses to forego God's leading. He gets impatient. He lets go of that and decides to step out on, on his own. In that moment where he doesn't trust God, he loses his authority. His anointing as king is completely removed. In 1 Samuel 13 it says, You have done a foolish thing. This is Samuel speaking. You have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. He's talking to Saul about this decision he has made to step away from what God has led him to and wait on God before he makes any moves. You have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. If you had, you would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. But now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler over his people. Because you have not kept the Lord's command. Can you imagine this moment? Saul, who's been king for 40 so years, hears all of a sudden in one decision, his authority, his kingship gone. And not only that, someone else is going to be appointed. This is where David enters the story. It's only a couple of chapters on in 1 Samuel 16 that again God speaks to Samuel and says, I want you to appoint a king. He's going to be from the tribe of Judah, a son of Jesse, which is a really significant genealogical line back as you look to the Old Testament and as you look forward. So Samuel seeks out Jesse. Jesse has eight sons. But when Samuel asks him to gather them, he only puts forward seven sons. He only presents them as possibilities of being the new king. Samuel stands before them. They are tall, handsome men. And he thinks to himself, surely this one One after the other, they stand before Samuel and God says, no, this is not the man. Samuel has to plead with Jesse, are these all the sons that you have? He was so sure he heard from God to go to this family, to seek a new king, to find the new king. Jesse then admits that he has another son. His name's David, but he's out looking after the sheep. He doesn't even consider him as someone to be presented And so Samuel asks him, go and find that son. We will stand and wait until he arrives. David comes in from the wilderness. You can imagine. He's a shepherd boy, probably smelling like a sheep because he spent so long with them. He's dirty, rugged, possibly tired. The youngest, obedient and humble, arrives before Samuel, and God says, this is the man. Anoint him. And in that moment, there's this beautiful ceremony that happens when God anoints a new priest and a new king. Samuel pours oil over his head. It's this beautiful, sacred and significant moment. But it's contradicted by the fact that they're standing in Jesse's home. David's surrounded by his family, his brothers. There's no fanfare. There's no big crowd. There's no huge moment. It's a simple, humble moment. But in that, that time, David becomes king of Israel. If the people around him, if his family actually knew what had happened, he would have been in great trouble because Saul was still king at this time. Finally, enough, David is just sent back out into the wilderness. He continues life as a shepherd. And throughout this series, we're gonna explore what it meant for him to become king and the ways that he was developed towards that. David's life is so interesting it's actually incredibly dynamic. You can see so much of humanity in this man. When I was reading about this, Archie Kendall puts it in four categories. He said, David was a man who was found. God sought him, found him in the wilderness. David was a man who was feared. He rose to power and Saul, the previous king was afraid of him and the nation were in awe of him. He was a man who fell. In one of his greatest moments was one of his greatest sins committing adultery and murder. And finally, he was a man who was forgiven. He was found, he was feared, he fell, and he was forgiven. That is the arc of the story of David, and it's a powerful one, and it's one worth looking at. He was a man who had strong faith, as God said, of who he was, a man after his own heart. But he was also a man of action. He put that into practice over and over again. And so we look forward to exploring that this series, diving into it and understanding what it meant for David to follow God in all circumstances. What did God see of David? As I just said in 1 Samuel 13, 4, he said, the Lord sought out a man after his own heart. David loved God. We don't know what was happening to David prior to him being anointed. What we do know is he was a shepherd. We find him in the wilderness. And shepherds in that time were completely vulnerable, essentially. Think of the landscape of Israel. It's dry, it's hot. He's spending hours out in the desert, on mountains, in deep valleys. He's dependent on God in so many ways, in practical senses, for companionship. As a shepherd, there are many threats. There's the threat of the weather. There's the thieves that camp out in different spots, the wild animals, the sudden change where there could be dust storms or lack of water, extreme heat. Also, let's remember David was forgotten by his family. His father didn't even call him. He didn't even recognize him as a son. David was a boy who grew up in constant vulnerability, essentially, dependent on God for his provision, for his safety. Majority of his early years, he spent seeking God's wisdom and provision. And this wilderness pattern, this time spent there, it was was sacred, it formed him, whether he realized it or not. And you see the same throughout the biblical narrative. The Israelites did it before David, 40 years in the desert, in the wilderness. And Jesus did this in his walk. He spent 40 days in the wilderness. And so it makes sense as followers that we're gonna enter wilderness moments too. This should not come as a surprise to us. If Jesus experienced it, we will too, we follow in his footsteps. And if you have any conversation with anyone from over the past 18 months, you will hear numerous accounts of wilderness. Whether it be represented by isolation, the sense of being in that space where there's no one else around, What usually rises, fears, lies can come in that moment. The enemy will come. In the wilderness, you're incredibly vulnerable. That's when the enemy wants to speak to you and come in, but that's also when we get to grow in our confidence and dependence on God. So maybe it was isolation. For others, there's been a real stretch in family, family breakdown even in the last 18 months, or pressure on relationships. A wilderness in that never foreseen something that changed that came and threat brought a threat to such a tight-knit unit maybe it's been parenting on your own and the difficulty of that feeling tired of carrying the weight and responsibility maybe it was a financial risk that you took 18 months ago and the current season we in means that you have no idea why that happened you felt led by god and now you're totally confused because it has not made sense A wilderness of confusion, having sought God and then finding yourself in a place you could not have anticipated. Maybe it's a health crisis. There are numerous things that have happened in the last 18 months that represent that wilderness. Whether that is something within us or whether it's something we're experiencing, both spiritually and physically, we enter these wildernesses. Why? Why? Why is this the case? Well, we need to go back further in the biblical narrative to give reason to this. I recently heard someone tell the creation story in this way, and it's been really, uh, it's really stuck with me since then. So essentially, God creates paradise. He drops Adam and Eve in, and they're hanging out in the Garden of Eden, and it's this beautiful space where they get to walk with Him daily and grow in their intimacy and relationship with Him. But one day, they do something silly. They touch a tree they shouldn't. The enemy, Satan, lures them in and gets them to eat this fruit that God had forgi- forbidden them to eat. So God says, hey, I'm sorry, but you're going to have to leave. And he takes them outside of the Garden of Eden. There's no way back in. There's flaming swords at the entrance now. And so Adam and Eve find themselves in the wilderness. And it's hard out there. This is where we find ourselves. This is where David was physically, spiritually. So why would we do trust a God who puts us in the wilderness why would we trust a God and follow him in a world like we find ourselves where we seem to be just in endless wildernesses in struggles we have to keep looking at the story to understand more so essentially Adam and Eve are outside of the garden learning to live life outside of God's presence over time they get to know each other a bit more and they have a little moment and Eve starts to get a bit bigger She's pregnant. I don't know if you can imagine, but Eve then goes through the birth, first birth of history, of all time, by herself. Would have been crazy. And in that moment, we read about it in Genesis 4. She cries out. She says to God, Please, Lord, help me. And this is really key. Because what happens in that moment is God steps out of paradise. He steps out of paradise and steps into the wilderness, into the dirt, into the hardness that is the wilderness to be with Eve. When she needed him the most, he came to her. He stepped out. Even though she had been in the wrong, he came. This is a God worth following, a God who is willing to step out of his paradise to come to his people. There is no other God out there that does that. No other God but Jesus. Jesus is the one who did that for us. Jesus said in Luke, the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. We are lost. The wilderness creates this sense of, we don't know where we are. We don't know what to do next. We don't know what's coming. We are lost. And Jesus says, I have come to meet you right there. I am coming out of paradise and I'm meeting you in the wilderness. Going to get into the hard places with you. David had the same cry in the wilderness. And he was found by God. In 1 Samuel 17 37, he attests to this. He said, The Lord who rescued me from the poor of the lion and the poor of the bear will rescue me from the hand of the Philistine. He knew God would come to him in the wilderness. Our cry is the same. And God is just as faithful. This movement, this coming towards us is grace. Eve had made a bad decision. Adam and Eve had walked away from God and chosen something else. They didn't deserve it. In this moment, Eve cries out. She didn't earn it. She didn't do anything differently. But God offers grace. And it is the same for us. As it says in Ephesians 2, 8-9, for it is by grace you have been saved, by grace, Through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Maybe today this is what you need to hear. Maybe you are finding yourself in the midst of a wilderness caused by something in the last 18 months or perhaps just something that repeatedly happens in your life and you're tired and you don't know what else to do. God wants to find you in the wilderness. He wants to take you and hold you and lead you into his presence. Today, maybe you need to hear that no matter where you are, no matter where you've been, no matter what's transpired, he will come. Cry out to him. Remember, it is through faith that we are saved. Trust that God is who he says he is. Maybe today is the day that you take a step towards that. You say, you know what, maybe this Jesus thing is true. Maybe he is someone who comes into my life and can change it and bring me back into the presence of God. This is something we all have. We have this cry. And David lived this continuously, as I shared early in the wilderness, as he talked about lions and bears and other things that he came up against. David's life was patterned by grace. He accepted God's help in those moments. That's so key. A part of Allowing God to come close is to recognise that we need him. There's this vulnerable moment that happens. And God comes forward in grace with all of his heart to be like, I'm going to be present to you. I promise to be. That's what his grace offers. And you don't have to jump through hoops or do these, you know, you don't have to work towards this. You just have to trust and believe that I am who I say I am, that Jesus is King and Lord. Can I have your heart? I offer mine. Will you give me yours? That's what grace does. It brings this beautiful moment. And this is what David does with God over and over again in the desert. He accepts God's help because where else was he going to get it from? His family had disowned him. He's literally stranded with just the sheep. In the hiddenness, this is what he did with God. And you see it reflective in his psalms. A lot of his psalms are written when he was in the wilderness, sitting under the stars. They speak of a deep love and dependence on God. But he stayed in that vulnerable position throughout his life. No matter the circumstance, David stayed vulnerable before God by trusting him. You see it, and we will talk about this in the coming series, when he comes up against Goliath, A man so much bigger, a man everyone else was afraid to face. David is confident that God will be with him and puts himself in a vulnerable position, declares who God is, and then steps out, trusting God will meet him. This is a pattern of David's life. David's life was patterned by grace. And it doesn't change depending on what David does. As I said, he was found. He was feared even as king. There were moments where he was offered grace and he showed grace. He was dependent on God in that. When he fell, he called upon God to be like, I know your heart. I know your heart for me and that you love me above all, even when I fall and run away. Grace was what marked his life. And it's not without struggle. David wasn't perfect. This is why the Psalms are so brilliant, because you hear his wrestle in moments where he had to offer grace, where he had to accept God coming towards him and leading him, when he felt vulnerable, but he still chose that. R.T. Kendall said, And the grace that will save you is the grace that will change you and keep you. And the grace that will save you is the grace that will change you and keep you. David's life was patterned by grace. Our lives are also designed to be patterned by grace. The most compelling thing about David's life was not what he achieved. As we look at it, you'll see he did do a lot. As I said at the start, a military leader, he brought back the temple worship. He basically gathered Israel as a whole nation, he reinstated Jerusalem. He did many things, but that wasn't the most compelling thing about him. It was the way that he let God's grace become a marker of his life. His trust and belief in God continued to shape him so that what was seen in his life with God's love and his grace over and over again, that's what brought wisdom. That's how he led so well. That's how he understood what it meant to come before God when he had fallen. He knew God's grace. Our lives are designed to be patterned by grace. And it's already been happening. If you've been following Jesus, this is a part of the process. When you first were found, when you first acknowledged his presence and him as King and Lord, it's like there was a thread that began in your life and that thread continues to get weaved throughout I was walking with a friend the other day who I hadn't seen for a while. 15Ks meant we crossed over, which was fantastic. And so we were chatting and so much time had passed, and I'm sure we've all experienced this. You can only catch up so much via text or on the phone. And so as we walked for these two hours, shared what had been going on in each other's lives, I remember this friend turned to me and distinctly said, it's really powerful to see the way that God's been working in your life over the last few months because I haven't seen you, to hear the story. I can see the way that God's doing things in you, those patterns of grace. I could see it in this person too. And that's the most compelling thing. That was the thing that we were like, wow, not what we'd done, not what we'd wrestled through, but what God had done and the way that he turned up time and again. It's weird, isn't it, that grace could have such an effect. It's such a paradox. It's something we don't deserve. It's something so simple, yet it's so Powerful. It's not something that we can earn, but something we need to accept. This is what we see in David's life. And as Paul wrote, we as followers of Jesus, as followers of God, we're broken vessels. We're going to get it wrong, just as David did. But we're carrying this glorious treasure within us. So that the immeasurable power will be seen as God's, not ours. We are broken people, but when we accept, when we live out of God's grace and we let it pattern our lives, it gives glory to Him because those cracks, those threads can be seen to be only the hand of God. What a testimony. So no matter what happens, No matter where we head, God will be with us. His grace will be offered. Will we step in? Will we trust him? Not just in our hearts but in our action as David did. Will we take what we've learned in the last 18 months, those threads, and let them continue on, let them inform what is to come? This is what happened with David. He spent those hours in the hiddenness, in the wilderness, those times where he consistently trusted God with his heart. And that's what anchored him when he moved forward, when he rose to power, when there were so many other influences. No matter what came, he remained faithful to God because he had learnt it in the hiddenness. What has God taught you in this time? So that when we come out of this, no matter what it looks like ahead, you can remember that it is grace that has saved you and it's the grace that will keep changing you and bringing you back to God and continue to shape you. So whether you find yourself at the moment, like David, wanting to be found, maybe you're in a position of authority and there's a sense of you're in the right place at the right time. Or maybe you're sitting in a sense of feeling like you have fallen, that you've let God down and you don't know where else to head and there's a real struggle there. Or maybe you're sitting in that space of grace and forgiveness The opportunity is the same no matter where you may be to continue to allow God's grace to pattern your life, for him to come towards you, to enter into the wilderness just as Jesus did, just as Jesus promised. He will do that. He wants to bring restoration in these places. The psalm I read at the start is Psalm 51, and it's written at the peak of David's fall when he had committed adultery and murder He comes before God in utter despair. I want to read a part of that, verse 5 to 11, from the Passion Translation. Lord, I have been a sinner from birth, from the moment my mother conceived me. I know that you delight to set truth deep in my spirit. So come into the hidden places of my heart and teach me wisdom. Purify my conscience Make this leper clean again. Wash me in your love until I am pure in heart. Satisfy me in your sweetness and my song of joy will return. The places you have crushed within me will rejoice in your healing touch. Hide my sins from your face. Erase my guilt by your saving grace. Keep creating in me a clean heart. These words are powerful because they come bathed in trust, Bathed in a confidence of who God is and immersed in grace. I know that you delight to set your truth deep in my spirit. As God brings those places, as you cry out and He meets you in those places, that is when He sets His truth deep within you. I also love the last phrase keep creating in me a clean heart. David knew that he would always need God. We need Him. What does it look like for us to continue to come back, not just to be found, but to continue to offer our hearts towards God and say, please keep creating a clean heart in me for your glory. May your grace be seen and marked by in my life, for I know that is what will bring truth and the kingdom. And so as we end, I'd love to pray this over you. So if you feel comfortable in whatever way you want to do that, to receive it, open up your hands, close your eyes, or maybe just stay as you are. I'm just going to pray these words over us as we head into a series looking at David and as we step into what God has next for us. Lord, I have been a sinner from birth from the moment my mother conceived me. I know that you delight to set your truth deep in my spirit. So come, come into the hidden places of my heart and teach me wisdom. Purify my conscience. Make this leper clean again. Wash me in your love until I am pure in heart. Satisfy me in your sweetness and my song of joy will return. Places you have crushed within me will rejoice in your healing touch. Hide my sins from your face. Erase all my guilt by your saving grace. Keep creating in me a clean heart. Thank you, God, that you are good and trustworthy and that you meet us in the wilderness. We declare these truths and we step into that. In your name, Jesus, as King and Lord. Amen.